today's message, The Eye of the Storm, Part 2. I just really encourage you to listen to last week's message, <clears throat> and it kind of joins them together. Uh, also, when I first came into the office this morning, I got a phone call from Julio, and uh, for those who don't know, he, uh, he's been married for 50 years, and his wife passed away in her sleep last night. So uh, for those who know Julio, just after the service sometime today, give him a call. He's doing good, uh, but, you know, you've been married to somebody for 50 years. That's a long time. So uh, just encourage him, and um, he does want the church to do the service, so we'll have a service here sometime in the near future, so we'll let everyone know that. Amen? Our scripture, Romans 15, 13, this is a scripture we say every single week, started January 1st, actually. So this is what it says. Can you say it out loud with me? Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about being ignorant of the devil's devices. And uh, in 2 Corinthians, it said that if we're ignorant of the devil's devices, he can take advantage of us. So uh, not to be ignorant of his devices. And I, I went into quite detail about being divisive. And uh, I feel like the world as a whole, especially in America, even in the church, not our church, but the church as a whole, uh, it's easily to let things divide us. But... Um, I just know that even when it comes to the doctrine, what you believe, it shouldn't be a dividing thing. Uh, the political realm shouldn't be a dividing thing. Uh, anything that divides us. I'm not saying that you have to agree. That is not what I'm saying. You understand that? There's a lot of doctrinal issues I disagree, but at the same time, I and you should not let a doctrine or a political thing, anything keep us divided, especially in the body of Christ. Amen? Uh, because I know you can care about people who disagree with you. I'll say it again. You can care about people, love people, and even pray for people who disagree with you. Uh, in John chapter 17, verse 21, it says that all of them, this is a prayer of Jesus. How many believe that Jesus is going to get his prayer answered? Jesus prayed this. He said, he prayed, Father, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. He says, they may be one, but he says, I've given them something to help them to be one. And he says, I've given them the glory. The glory is the goodness of God, the love of God. That is what's going to cause us to walk in unity. You know, there was a time years ago where I thought, if we could just get everybody believing the same thing, that's really impossible. As long as there's humanity that can have free choice, which that's what God has given us, it's not to preach the good news so everybody will believe exactly the same thing in every field, whether it's eschatology, healing, prosperity, salvation, the grace of God, all of that, 
it, it, you can just preach to your blue in the face, and there's going to be people who disagree with a certain part of the doctrine, which is fine. It's okay. But this is the thing. God says that is not what's going to cause unity anyway. It's the love of God that he placed inside of us that's going to cause unity. That's the only thing that can cause unity on this planet. Because everybody's thinking differently now. Everybody has a different opinion. Everybody uh, is really strong in their opinion, which is fine. Don't have a problem with that. But we should not let what we believe cause division. You can be 100% right, but if you're causing division, you're 100% wrong. You need to make sure that you're doing it out of love. Will people agree with you? No, I'm not saying that we have to agree. Make sure that you hear me. I'm not saying that you have to compromise. Not at all. But I am saying that you need to have the right motivation, and it should be a motivation out of love. Amen? This is, I thought about this this week. The disciples saw Jesus for three years do so many different miracles. I mean, he raised the dead. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 people, caused blind eyes to open, the crippled to walk. I mean, you think about all the miracles that he did, and yet the disciples did not ask Jesus one time, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to feed 5,000. How many think you talk about a food restaurant business? It's a joke. But anyway, I mean, if you could take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people, that'd be a pretty prosperous adventure. Anyway, testing, one, two. Did you cut my mic off? Everybody just, maybe it's the mask. Maybe you're, maybe you're smiling underneath the mask, all right? Pull your mask down. Let me see you smile and put it back. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, this is the thing. I mean, they did all of these things, and the disciples didn't say, teach us. But there's one thing that the disciples saw Jesus do do on a regular basis, and that was pray. Pray. Lord, teach us to pray. That must have been a huge impact on their life because they didn't ask Jesus to do any of these other mighty, miraculous things to teach them. But when it came to prayer, they said, teach us to pray. And so I think prayer is something vitally important, especially... We're talking about being in the midst of the storm, having peace in the midst of the storm. We need to be a people of prayer. That's why we open up the church on Wednesday from 12 to 1 on your lunch hour. You can come and pray. Uh, you can come for 30 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes from 12 to 1. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this. Most of all, I am writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. Pray for all men with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion, and pray for every political leader and representative. Did y'all hear that? Pray for, he didn't say just the Democrats, just pray for the Republicans. Pray for every political leader and representative so that we, why? So that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the all-inspiring God with pure hearts. It is pleasing to our Savior and God to pray for them. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. Brother Hagin said this years ago. He's dead in heaven now, but he said this years ago. Evidently, I don't remember who's president, but a lot of the Christians were 
grumbling over it and everything. And he, he stood up in front of everybody and said, I just wanted to tell you something. If you are not praying for your president, you have no right to criticize him. I'm not saying you have a right to criticize him anyway. But specifically, if you are not praying for, you know, I'll pray for my governor because I'm a Democrat. I'll pray for the president because he's a Republican. No, that's, that's not the case. You know, I mean, this is a good illustration. I, I just feel like because a lot of times we want the, the person who's not of our political party to fail. We want them to fail. Do you understand that's like being in the ocean in a small ship and and it's in a storm and and you're praying for that captain to to mess up and do wrong? You're on the ship. I really don't think that's the time to let your differences hope that he fails. It's the same way politically, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's just not smart to hope that one who's over us to fail. We're in the same ship. Come on now. So we need to pray for them. Pray And listen, I'm not getting on my political soapbox. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that we need to pray for those that are over us in the political realm. Just saying. Psalms 27, 13 says this. I would have lost heart. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I think this is so appropriate for the the storms that we're going through around the world. David was going through a hard time, and he said, you know, I would have lost heart. In other words, I, I would have lost hope about our future. There is so many people who are losing hope about our nation, about the world and what's going on. They're just losing hope because of, they say, man, this is just, this could get worse. This could, I mean, and some of the parents are saying, you know, they're hearing that they may shut down the schools at the start of August. And a lot of parents are going, oh, dear Jesus, help me. You mean I'm going to have to homeschool like that? There's a lot going on. And David said, I would have lost hope if... I would not have believed that I would see the goodness of God, not when he gets to heaven, but in the land of the living right here, right now. And then in 14, it says, wait on the Lord. Wait, that word doesn't just mean to sit back and not do anything. Wait means to eagerly look for. You can do that in prayer. You're eagerly looking for what? The goodness of God to be manifested. You can eagerly look for the goodness of God to be manifested, not for the hell to break loose every day. You wake up in the morning, I wonder what bad is going to happen today. You can get in a routine of that. Let's just flick on the TV and see what terrible things are happening today. That's not a good road to go down, by the way. It is not good just to think, okay, because the media will tell you how bad it is, and they'll tell you that it's just going to get worse, and just just be prepared. Just be prepared. Storms are going to come. Jesus said this in John 16, 33, right before he was getting ready to depart the earth, he said this to his disciples. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. You may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. 
Wow, really? This is Jesus saying this to his disciples. If you're in the world, doesn't matter if you're in Pueblo, Colorado, or Baghdad. Doesn't matter what city, where you're at on the planet. He says you're going to have trials, tribulation, distress, and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, and undaunted. Undaunted, man, that's just like the strong word, like, I'm going to stand. I can stand against this. He says, why? Why can you be confident? Why can you take courage? For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of its power to harm you, and I've conquered it for you. He says, I have conquered this for you. Jesus came, not because he needed to show everybody he was a conqueror. He came so that the conqueror can live on the inside of you and me. Every circumstance that you and I face, we have the ability to overcome it. You may think right now, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Well, that's because you're looking at your ability, you're looking at your strength, your power, your intellect, your education, your experience. And God is saying all of that is good, but you cannot rely and trust upon that. You need to look at to me. I am the one who conquered it, and I'm inside of you. I am inside of you. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. So I, I went all the way back. Chapter 15 and 16 of John kind of tied together. He started talking about things. He says, I have told you these things. What things did he say to him in those two chapters? I'm not going to say everything. I'm just hit the highlights. First of all, he says, you're going to have trouble. All hell is going to break loose. And this is why, do you, if you study 2,000 years ago, the culture at that time, why so many people did not believe in the Messiah is because they truly believed that the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from Rome, from, the, from this government power that was ruining their lives. They were living under this dictatorship. All of their life was, they didn't have the freedom. They were heavily taxed. It was just a terrible time. And so they believed that the Messiah was going to come and say, hey, you're no longer under the Roman power. I am the one in power, and I'm going to be your ruler. I'm going to be the governor. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be the one who sets everything right. Didn't happen. And so because it didn't happen, the Jewish people did not believe he was the Messiah because they did not think that this could be the Messiah because the Messiah would surely deliver them from this. 2,000 years, people still do that with Jesus. Well, I thought Jesus was going to do this, and he didn't. Well, I thought this would happen. I thought that would happen, and it doesn't happen. You know? I mean, there's all kinds of things going. I thought I was going to get that promotion. I, I thought my husband wouldn't leave me. I thought this, and I thought that. And it happens, and then people think, oh, he let me down. No, he didn't. People have a free choice, first of all. But this is the thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. Don't be like the Jews back 2,000 years ago and, and forsake Jesus or get offended over because he, things didn't happen the way that you thought they would happen. He said, I'm telling you these things so you don't get offended because you're going to have trouble. And he says, I'm telling you things. Listen, I'm going away. But when I go away, I'm going to send the comforter. 
That word comforter also means advocate. That's one who's going to fight with you and stand with you. That's the one who's going to say when people are coming against you, you've got the greatest judge, you've got the greatest lawyer on your side. He said the comforter is going to guide you and show you things to come. Remember, he says, I'm saying these things to you so you know that I've conquered it for you. I've conquered the world for you. He says, when you're asking things from the Father, just know this, that you need to believe what you're asking. He says, know that joy has been given to you and the joy cannot be taken away from the world, by the world. Did you hear that? No pandemic, no government can take joy away from you. You can give it away, but it can't be taken away. No demon in hell can take your joy away from you. No pandemic, no government, no body can take joy away from you. You freely give it away. So when people say, I've just lost my joy. No, you really didn't lose it. You gave it away freely. Because God says in his word that my joy I've given to you and the world cannot take it away. It's not my opinion. It's what Jesus himself has said. So if we are not joyful, it's not God's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your job's fault. It's not the government's fault. It's not the pandemic's fault. It's your fault, my fault, because we have given what has been given to us. He says, I'm telling you these things now. So likewise, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. I'm telling you these things now. And then he also says, and I'm telling you this as well, and this is one of the most important things. As the Father loves me, he loves you with that same love. The same love. And then he goes on, he says, I've told you these things, and in me you may have perfect peace. God wants you and me to have peace no matter what's going on in this storm, no matter what's going on in this life. And then he turns to him, he says, do you believe me now? Do you believe that the Father sent me? And in John 16, they said, we believe you. He says, all right, all right. And then right after that, they came to take him away to the cross, and they all left. <laughs> you think, did you just lose all that I just told you? Yes and no. This is the mercy of God. You would have think at that time, after this big speech, I've overcome the world for you. I've deprived it of its power to harm you. You would have think, all right, they're on board. They're on board with me. Sounded like it. And then he's getting taken to the cross, and there, none of his disciples followed him, there was only one disciple at the foot of the cross. Only one. I, I said this in the first service. I said, if you look at Jesus' ministry and compared it today, and if, if people would have said, do you think this person had a successful ministry? And this is how the story goes. He had a handful of people, and it grew. He had thousands of followers at, at certain times of his ministry. Thousands of people followed him. And then it dropped off, and, and he had 70 really close disciples, and then they all left. And then at the end of his ministry, he went back down to the handful. And then at the very end, he only had one that was, stood with him in the most precious time of his life, only one. People would have said, well, that dude was a failure. It's Jesus. But this is the thing that Jesus didn't look. He doesn't look at things like you and I looked at. The seed of the gospel was planted on this planet. And that seed, after he was resurrected, began to flourish. 3,000 got saved. 
5,000. Thousands started spreading. Persecution came, and it spread like wildfire. Just like I said last week, no government for 2,000 years, communism, socialism, no dictator, no pandemic, no government has ever been able to shut the church down, and it never will be shut down. 2,000 years. So I think that's a pretty good track record. But my point is this. You have the ability in your DNA to overcome every circumstance that you will ever face. Did you hear me? We just have to believe that. Meditate upon that. Think about that. Any circumstance that you and I will ever face, there is something been placed on the inside of you to get you through it, to overcome it. This is the thing. We're familiar, most of the people are familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were put in the fire, made seven times hotter. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to burn up. But this is the thing. God didn't take the fire away. This is what we want. We want, you know, when we're in the fire, God, please take the fire away. But this is what God says he'll do. He says, in the world, you're going to have fire. Trials, tribulations, frustrations. But he said, this is what I promise I'll do. I will be with you in the fire. Jesus, or the Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire and he says, I thought we threw three in there. And he says, I see a fourth one. He looks like the son of man. And this is the thing. God didn't take the fire away. But when the three men walked out, they not only were not burned, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. You know what that is? I have deprived the world of its power to harm you. I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm not even going to take the fire away. In Isaiah, he says, you'll walk through fire and you'll not be burned. You'll walk through the flood and you'll not drown. It's a promise. God doesn't take the floods away. He doesn't take the fire away. He's not going to take all the frustrations away and all the trials and tribulations. He's not going to take it away, but he has made this promise. If you look to me, if you look to Jesus, he said, if you realize that he's on the inside of you, you will still be standing in the fire. You won't burn. You can still be standing in the flood, swimming in the flood, and you won't drown. Bad circumstances aren't something we're supposed to just put up with and hope to survive. No, we were meant to learn how to thrive in them and how to overcome in the midst of every circumstance, every single one. John 16, 31 says this. Jesus answered them, do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to run. This is a message translate. You're about to uh, make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandon me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace in this godless world and will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I've conquered the world. It's no different for you and me. People can leave you. People can abandon ship. You may think you're all alone, but Jesus is saying the same thing that he said to the disciples. But I'm never alone. He says, you're all going to depart and you're going to leave. But I'm not going to be alone because my fathers will never abandon me. Your father's never going to abandon you. Never abandon you. If you understand that and believe that, you will understand that 
God, he wants to break off of you and me this habitual being circumstance-led. We are just so circumstance-led, and God wants to break that off of you and me. He wants us, instead of living by the limitations of life, he wants us to excel and be spirit-led instead of circumstance-led. Live according to the goodness of God, how much he loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you. And when you understand how unconditionally God loves you and me, this is the big thing. I'm closing. You can hear the piano playing so you know I'm closing. This is the thing. If you and I do not have a revelation of the unconditional love of God, if this is being hindered, if you think that God loves you when you're doing good, if he's accepting you when, when you pray and you're reading, you're just doing you're accepted now, you feel good. But then if you don't, you're kind of on God's bad side. He's got his hand raised up. He's going to backhand you. If you think that and believe that, then your relationships horizontally will never be right. The only way I can love you unconditionally, first of all, did you know that's how we're supposed to love? The only way I can love you unconditionally, we can't in our own strength, first of all, love people unconditionally. Most of our love on this planet is, if you treat me right, I'm going to love you. You treat me wrong, Hmm, there's more to it than when mama ain't happy, nobody happy. It's daddy's not happy, nobody. I mean, it's just people. It's just people. But can I be honest with you? That's not God. This is how we're supposed to love people is unconditionally. But it can't happen if you don't have a revelation of that. God, your father, loves you unconditionally, which means he loves you 24-7 no matter what's going on in your life. If you don't understand that, you'll never be able to love and accept horizontally those relationships. That'll help you in marriage 101 or friendship 101. Intimacy is the goal. Jesus said this, I want you to see into me. Into me see. Intimacy. Into me see. The more that we see inside of God how much he loves us, how much he's accepted us, the more intimate we can be with our Heavenly Father. Not as a religious square, but to know Him. To know Him. We need to get to know Him. And by that, you just spend time with Him. These last few months, I've spent more time. I turn on the worship music back there, and I just walk around here for hours every day. And I know you probably probably can't do that if you're working or whatever, but this, this is what I do for hours. When I'm not doing book work, and trust me, there's a lot of other stuff I have to do. But when I can, I just walk around here. Sometimes I don't say a word. I don't even speak a word. People say, well, if you're praying, you got to be talking. No, you just got to say, all right, God, I'm here. I'm just here. Just want you to know. Sometimes I'll talk to him, but I don't talk to him for an hour straight. Two hours straight, three hours. Are you kidding me? I'd be hoarse. Plus, I know what I'm going to say. I want to hear what he's got to say to me. Spend time with him. 
Maybe you're at work and maybe you work 10 or 12 hours a day. You can't do that. But I'm telling you, just make yourself aware, whatever that is, make yourself aware that, hey, God's with me. God is with me. Just make yourself aware of that. Because the more intimate you are with him, the easier it will be to walk in health and strength, to having your needs met, because you will understand how much he loves you like a good father. That's why he wants to be intimate with you. That's why he wants, you know, we shouldn't be striving to get God to do something in our life. If you, that's just why in Hebrews it says to work, to enter into the rest. Sounds like a strange paradox, doesn't it? I mean, you got to work to get into rest. That's what the reason he said that is because he knows us as humans. We have to work to get this accomplished. We have to work to get this, and we got to get God. We got to work for God. We got to do all this. And, and God's saying, if you enter into my rest, the only way you can and I can enter into that rest is being intimate with Him and know that God's got this. No matter what storm circumstance you're going into, if you understand how much he loves you, you're going to have in your heart and in your mind, God has got this. So I'm just going to rest. Amen? Let's stand. I'll read one last scripture. Hebrews 7, 19 says this, For the the law has never made anyone perfect. It's talking about the law of the commandments. It's never made anyone perfect. But in its place is a far better hope which gives us confidence to experience intimacy with God. And that's what he wants to happen in your life and my life. We need to experience intimacy with, with him so that things can be manifested, so that the promises can be manifested that he's freely given us. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray that our eyes would be open and that we would just have a a hunger to be more intimate with you, to spend time with you throughout the day. Help us to see you in a better way. Into you, we want to see intimacy. We want to see into you. Truly, that you're not just some white-haired guy sitting on a throne in heaven, but you're real and you live in us. You're alive and well inside of us. Help us to see that, Father. That we're never abandoned, we're never alone. That you will see us through this pandemic, the circumstances that we're going through in life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to say our scripture. If you want to give on your way out, there's buckets in the back. This is our scriptures that we have taken from the word of God. We believe that you're blessed and that you're a blessing. Amen. Can we say this out loud together? My Father generously provides all that I need. He is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that is in me. He surrounds me with favor and inspires me to be a blessing. I am blessed. Have a blessed week this week. And just know that God is with you. Amen. God bless you.